Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Have you ever met anybody who strangled themselves on their headphones? It could be me. Hang on a second. Okay, I think I'm good. Hello, welcome to episode eight. I am Ken Levine. Got a good show today. I'm going to be talking about my favorite romantic comedies. I'm also going to be introducing you to another comedian you probably know, but you probably don't know him as a stand-up. And I'm going to talk a little bit about CNN and the documentary series, the 70s and the 80s. All that right here on Hollywood and Levine. Who doesn't love romantic comedies? Well, who doesn't love good romantic comedies? Uh, Haven't been too many recently, but I thought I would share with you now my all-time favorite rom-coms. Some of these are old, I gotta warn you. Some of these are pictures you've never heard of before. Others might be titles that you have heard, but you've never seen the movie. And others are movies that you've seen, and hopefully you'll go, hmm, yeah, I haven't seen that in a while. Let me go see that one again. So these are my all-time favorite romantic comedies. And remember, my opinion holds an awful lot of weight because I'm one of the writers of Mannequin 2. Okay, first on my list, All About Eve. It was written by Joseph Mankiewicz. Oftentimes when people talk about movies, they always tack on the director's name. Well, I'm going to talk about the writers instead. Joseph Mankiewicz wrote this movie, Sharpest Dialogue I Have Ever Heard. The film is 60 years old, and it still just crackles. And what a pleasure to see a comedy that isn't dumbed down, all about Eve. Another movie from the 50s that I loved is called Some Like It Hot. It was written by Billy Wilder and I.A.L. Diamond. Billy Wilder also directed this movie. And if you heard the premise, you would not necessarily think that this is a comedy. A couple of jazz musicians sort of bungle into a garage in the 1920s and happen to view the Valentine's Day Massacre. And they're spotted. And so Al Capone is out to get him and kill him. And so they have to hide from the mob. Okay, that does not exactly sound like a laugh riot. But the comic twist, of course, is the way they try to elude the mobsters is by posing as women in an all-women's jazz band It's uh, Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis. Also, the great Marilyn Monroe is in that movie, and it truly is hysterical. Another movie with Eve in the title is The Lady Eve, and this goes back even farther. This is Preston Sturgis, uh, and this is a, a screwball comedy. 
It's really funny. It's really sophisticated. But when I tell you the two stars, you're not going to think Laugh Riot. Barbara Stanwyck and Henry Fonda are the two stars of this movie. Uh, You know, you think of them in dramas. But uh, no, they're very funny, especially Barbara Stanwyck. His Girl Friday, screenplay by Charles Lederer, and it is based on the play, the front page by Ben Hecht and Charles MacArthur. Another movie with rapid-fire dialogue. Very funny, very fast. Kerry Grant and Rosalind Russell, they trade quips uh, back and forth. I mean, it makes an Aaron Sorkin scene seem slow. It's just amazing. It's directed by Howard Hawks, but you really should see His Girl Friday. Now, a movie that I talk about a lot in my blog is Arthur, and that's the movie by Steve Gordon. Steve Gordon was an amazing writer. It was the first movie that he had directed. It starred Dudley Moore. And by the way, when I mention some of these movies, uh, I'm talking about the originals. If a lot of these movies were rebooted, uh, don't see those versions. Those versions are terrible. There was another version of Arthur with Russell Brand. Give it a wide berth. Terrible. But the original, great funny lines, Dudley Moore was the star of that movie. Uh, And, (laughs) you know, it's hard to believe she would be the romantic lead in a movie and also be incredibly charming and funny and winning. But Liza Minnelli, you go, Liza Minnelli? Yep, Liza Minnelli was adorable in that movie. There's a film called Heartbreak Kid that came out in the 70s. It was written by Neil Simon, but it is unlike any other Neil Simon movie that you have ever seen. And I think partially because it was directed by Elaine May, who gave it a very dry spin. It's a a movie that was taken from a book by Bruce J. Friedman. And... uh, it's very Jewish. It's, it's very Jewish. And here's the thing. Charles Grodin stars in this movie. He's extremely funny, but he is truly a douchebag. Jewish men find it hilarious. Jewish women find it abhorrent. So I, I give you that disclaimer right off the bat, that Jewish women probably will hate this movie Uh, Jewish men probably will find it amusing. Could any list be complete without Tootsie? That's the movie that Larry Gelbart wrote. Well, it was Larry and about 15 other writers, but Larry had the, the main draft of that movie, and it was Larry who really had the theme of that movie, and it's the theme of that movie that shines through and makes it so special. The idea of can you be a better man by having been a woman. This was a movie starring Dustin Hoffman. Very, very funny. Take the Money and Run. Woody Allen's very first movie. And when this movie came out in 1969, it was really a revelation for me. Before that movie, romantic comedies were these tepid, syrupy, 
unfunny Doris Day Rock Hudson movies that were mildly amusing at best. And Woody Allen comes along with Take the Money and Run, and, oh my God, it is trying to be, and it succeeds most of the time in being, very, very funny. There is joke upon joke upon joke. And I remember going to the Regent Theater in Westwood with a date. I don't remember the date, but I do remember the entire audience laughing out loud, nonstop, for 90 minutes. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, that is a comedy. So Take the Money and Run by Woody Allen. It's very rough and Probably you look back at it now, and uh, a lot of it seems dated. Some of the jokes don't work, but it was extremely funny, and I bet you it really holds up. Young Frankenstein by Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder, uh, a movie in black and white. I have to warn you, a lot of these movies are in black and white, yet they're still funny. But this movie, I think, of all of Mel Brooks' movies, this is my favorite And I love Blazing Saddles, which I would put on the list, too. Blazing Saddles is a lot more like Take the Money and Run in the sense that it is just gag after gag after gag. Young Frankenstein was like that, but it parodied a movie genre, and it had more of a story. And there is one particular scene where uh, Peter Boyle as Frankenstein is singing Putting on the Ritz that, for me, is the maybe single funniest scene in all of cinema, Young Frankenstein by Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder. Going back to Woody Allen, Annie Hall in the late 70s. Now, this movie, for me, was sort of the perfect romantic comedy, and maybe I was of the right age I say that because a few years ago when I was teaching a class at USC, basically a survey of comedy, I showed Annie Hall. And a lot of the students didn't really respond to it. So again, there's a disclaimer, but Annie Hall, I think, is a wonderful movie written by Woody Allen and Marshall Brickman. Moonstruck, written by John Patrick Shanley. This was a very small romantic comedy about an Italian family. Cher wins an Academy Award for her performance in this movie. It's just charming. Go see Moonstruck. Chasing Amy. Now, uh, Kevin Smith, not known for writing romantic comedies, but this one, which starred Ben Affleck, It's a wonderful, wise, witty, lovely, lovely little movie called Chasing Amy. Uh, Moving down my list, American Graffiti. This is a movie from, I believe, 1973. George Lucas uh, directed it also as the co-writer, but the real writers of this movie were Gloria Katz and Willard Hayek. It's not necessarily meant to be a romantic comedy per se, but the characters are so funny and the situations are so funny that even though it's meant to be more of a nostalgic piece, a slice of life, what life was like 
1962. Still, it really comes off great as a comedy. Lots of great laughs. Now, a movie that, if you read the screenplay, you would never in a million years even think that it's a romantic comedy. It's not necessarily a romantic comedy. It's more of a black comedy, but there's some romantic elements. Still, I put it on the list, and that is Dr. Strangelove from the 60s. Uh, It was Stanley Kubrick who gets writing credit with Peter George and Terry Southern. It's very dry, and if you see it again now, it's probably very scary because it goes back to the Cold War, but uh, a movie that, if you're into comedy, you really at least once need to see Dr. Strangelove. Mel Brooks' first movie was called The Producers, and he won the Academy Award for the Best Screenplay for this. It's a hilarious movie. Of course, the highlight is the Springtime for Hitler dance number. If you're not familiar with the premise of this movie, you have a Broadway producer who is in tons and tons of debt. So he gets the idea, actually an accountant gets the idea. It's Zero Mostel playing the producer and Gene Wilder playing the accountant. And the idea basically is sell a lot of shares to an upcoming Broadway production. And if the production closes after the first night and is a bomb, everybody loses their money. So as long as the show is not a hit, then they're in the clear because everybody is going to lose out. So they try to come up with what they believe to be the worst possible show ever, and it is Springtime for Hitler, a Hitler musical. This was from the early 60s, and of course, years later, a musical of the producers was made and was a huge hit on Broadway, with Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. And then, sort of the weirdest thing, a movie version of the musical was made. So you have the musical based on a movie and a movie based on the musical based on the movie. The movie musical version is is awful and over the top. Go see the original The Producers by Mel Brooks. La Cage au Fa, unfortunately... Uh, I can't pronounce the names of these uh, screenwriters, so my apologies. But uh, this was originally a French movie. Even the subtitles are funny. There was an American version of it called The Birdcage that was also quite funny with Nathan Lane and Robin Williams, but the original Le Cage of Faw is the one that you need to see. That, too, became a Broadway musical. Four Weddings and a Funeral. Richard Curtis wrote this movie, and even Andy McDowell couldn't kill it. It is a an English confection. And then finally, Showgirls. Now, Showgirls is not your standard romantic comedy. The reason it's on my list, it was written by Joe Esterhaus. The reason it is on my list is that it is so unspeakably terrible on every single level that you can't help but laugh throughout. Uh, (laughs) And I feel really bad. Uh, Elizabeth Berkley stars in this movie. 
You might remember her from Saved by the Bell. And I happen to know her, and she is the nicest person. She is just the sweetest soul. And to see her in this movie, it's every time I would see her, I, like, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Uh, it, it probably was a career ender because I can't think of anything else that she was in. She's actually living in New York now, and she's writing uh, self-help books for teenagers and doing very, very well. But uh, Elizabeth Burke, she's naked through most of the movie, guys. So there's that. But uh, in terms of everyone's performance, uh, this movie is truly jaw-dropping. So there are my all-time favorite romantic comedies. See you at the bunker at the end of the mall. This is Hollywood and Levine coming back with more right after this. From time to time on this podcast, I want to introduce you to some comedians, some stand-ups that you may not be that familiar with. And today I want to talk about Albert Brooks. And you're going, Albert Brooks? I've heard that name. Sure. I mean, a lot of you may know who Albert Brooks is. Albert Brooks is uh, an actor. Uh, He, at one time, was quite a very good filmmaker. He made some movies that he starred in, also wrote and directed Lost in America, in particular some very, very funny films. And you may just know him as one of the voices on Finding Nemo. But he started his career as a stand-up comic back in the early 70s. And he was very unique. He didn't just tell jokes. All of his routines had had premises. There were comic constructs that he would invent. In a sense, they were sort of like sketches. But he was very unique, certainly for the time. And here's an example. This is rewriting the national anthem. And I think it's kind of apropos considering where the country is right now. Here's Albert Brooks. The, the national anthem, what happened? Oh, someone got up. No, no, you don't have to stand. <laughs> uh, the, national, the national anthem of this country, the Star Spangled Banner, is going to have to be rewritten uh, very soon. Nobody sings it on, on the way to work anymore. Remember the good old days? You'd pass a guy going to work. Oh, say, can you see? Hello, Dr. Brown. <laughs> they don't do that. What's the fair way to rewrite this kind of a song? By the way, you people here, you really can't see during this bit, can you? Because the piano. Those are the goon seats. (laughs) You'll find a picture and a resume under the seat. Read along. Let me update it. Put down riding and swimming, okay? (laughs) What's the fair way to rewrite a song like that, a national song? You hire the country's most popular songwriter, what, Burt Bacharach, let him do it? That's not fair. No, why? Let one hire a professional? You wouldn't want that song anyway. Hey, no place. It's got trees, it's got mountains. Uh, I think the fair way to rewrite the song is to hold open auditions. Put a piano, put a good piano, let everyone sound good, in a building in Washington... Get a a panel of judges and hold auditions for the new national anthem. So let's go to Washington to those auditions now. Not literally, of course. I meant comedically. 
listen, I said, last night I said that, and 30 people went out in the alley and waited for, like, a bus to take them, and of course, there was no bus there, and I felt like a fool. All right, please be quiet. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a lot of you. We got to get through it very... Please be quiet. Very quickly, sit down at the piano, state your name, where you're from, play your song, all right? Don't give us any titles. Please be quiet. Don't give us any titles. We'll call them all the anthem. If we like it, we'll get your title from you later, okay? State your name, where you're from, play your song. We'll stop you when we've heard enough. Let's go quickly. You're first. First? Ted Rutherford? Dallas? Texas? Sarasota, Florida. Ready? Ooh, ah, I like the USA. Ooh, ooh, I like the USA. Ooh, it's better than Russia or China. Ooh, it's better than Yugoslavia. Lights be changed at all. All right, it's not important. 
Before I sing my song, I should tell you a bit about myself. My name is Mr. Robert Bob Harmon, and I currently live and work in the very exciting city of Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm an entertainer. And you know, Vegas is a, a great place, an exciting place, but originally I'm from a, a much quieter place, a place up north out west, a place I call Portland. What a great place it is. In one 30-square-mile radius, there's more to do than almost anywhere in the world. There's hunting and fishing and boating and camping. Get on with it! <laughs> I am. That's how I get into it in the actor. It's got beautiful waterfalls and gorgeous trees, but you know, it's part of a bigger place. It's part of a, a country. Can you guess which country it is? <laughs> no, it's not Denmark or Poland or Sweden or Rome. Get on with it! It's a lovely place I call home, I'm proud to say. I've got a country. Got a country. I spell it A M E R I C A. Get off this stage! Thank you. Oftentimes, if there's a documentary on television, they will ask writers to participate and they will invite you down and interview you for an hour or an hour and a half. And invariably, they'll use maybe 15 seconds of it, perhaps 20. Actors will be on for 10 minutes, for 20 minutes, but the writers generally get one or two quick sound bites and that's pretty much it. Well, CNN has this documentary series called The 70s, also the 80s, and before that, the 60s. And when they did the 70s, they were going to devote an entire hour to television. And so I was invited to come and be interviewed, since I was involved in MASH at the time and uh, was a participant of television in the 70s. So I went down and did the interview, and true to form, I was on camera maybe 10, 15 seconds. They used about uh, three or four sound bites during the section about MASH. And that was it, and I really didn't think that much of it. And then the show aired, and I saw myself for a few seconds, and it's like, okay, great. And then I moved on. And then they reran it again and again and again. And every time they reran it, I would hear from people, I would get, texts and emails from friends saying, hey, I saw you on CNN. Well, they decided to do the 80s. And again, I was called. I guess they liked my sound bites. And in the 80s, I did cheers. So I was uh, certainly a participant of television in the 1980s. And I went down and they interviewed me. And they interviewed me for about an hour on cheers. And eventually, the Offstage producer yelled at the interviewer, Jesus Christ, ask him something else. So he started asking me questions about other TV shows from the 80s. Asked about Dallas, the Larry Sanders show, Pee Wee's Playhouse, Family Ties, all kinds of things. Now, I, of course, 
did not prepare for any of this. You know, for Cheers, I kind of had a few answers here or there, assuming I knew what they were going to ask. But I had no idea they were going to ask me about Dallas or Pee Wee's Playhouse. Anyway, I answered these questions and what I thought the future of television was, yada, yada. And they record these things like in October, and then the documentaries finally air in May, like six, seven months later. So when the 80s documentary on television premiered some six or seven months after I had recorded the interview, I saw myself on the cheer segment, and I thought, okay, this is fine. I got my uh, 15, 20 seconds again. But then all of a sudden I start popping up on all of these other things, talking about the David Letterman show and Dallas and Pee Wee's Playhouse. And I don't even remember them asking me these questions. But obviously uh, it was me. I heard my voice and recognized it. And again, I was very pleased that I got more than 15 seconds. I probably got half a minute, maybe even 40 seconds in a two-hour program. But CNN just keeps replaying those shows over and over again. And I love it because for me, it means it's just another hour that CNN is not showing world events. So I'm thrilled. No, I did not get paid. No, I do not get any royalties for this. But it's kind of cool for the ego. And it's nice when I start getting a flurry of emails from friends who said, hey, I saw you on CNN. Now, they're going to do the 90s, and I believe it will premiere this May. And again, they asked me to uh, to be interviewed, and I went down and talked about Frasier and Friends and all kinds of things. I don't even remember what I talked about. So let's see, come May, whether or not they'll use me a lot or for the two-hour interview, and it was two hours this time, whether I'll only be on for about 15, 20 seconds. But I will have to say this. A lot more people saw me on CNN than saw me when I hosted the Neil Simon Film Festival on Turner Classic Movies. Now, for that, I was on like four or five minutes a night, every Friday night, for five weeks as I did the intros and the outros of Neil Simon movies. And I got an occasional note from somebody or a friend would say, uh, hey, I stumbled across uh, you're on, uh, on TCM, but nothing like the CNN thing. So I'm looking forward to the 90s. Watch, I'll only be on for another two seconds, three seconds. Maybe they won't even use me at all. Anyway, coming back with more on Hollywood and Levine right after this. Okay, that is going to do it for Episode 8 of Hollywood and Levine. A program reminder, usually this podcast drops Thursday night at midnight, but I'm going to have a special edition on Monday morning sometime. I will be reviewing... The Oscars. The Oscars are Sunday night, and I've been doing this for about 15, 16 years now, where I give my snarky, bitchy Oscar review the next day, 
I'm not at all bitter by the fact that I've never been nominated even once after being a writer of Mannequin 2. Anyway, uh, it's something that I have done on the blog, but this year, for the first time, instead of the printed version, I am going to deliver it to you right here on this podcast. So uh, tune in for that. Like I said, that should be sometime Monday morning because I write up my Oscar review immediately after the program so that if there are any jokes that I do that happen to be done somewhere else later on, you know I didn't steal it. Okay, so that's the Oscars on Monday. Now, another thing, you may have noticed something different about the podcast this week. That's right, jingles. I have some actual jingles. Yeah, you you know I I come from Top 40 Radio, don't you? Anyway, our thanks to John Wolfert of Jam Creative Productions in Dallas for making these jingles for me. It is so weird to hear seven singers sing your name in unison, and in my case, pronounce it correctly. Anyway, again, our thanks to John Wolford and Jam Creative Productions. Also, thanks to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler and to Howard Hoffman. And finally, to you guys. Oh, wait, I forgot to mention subscribe and five-star review. You you know the drill by now. Anyway, uh, thank you all so much. Hope you got in your 10,000 steps, and we will see you next time for my annual Oscar review. Bye-bye. Hollywood